Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 6. We finished up James last week, and this week we're uh, at a standalone message in Acts chapter 6. And uh, at this time, I'm going to go ahead and invite the deacons to come down front and to sit on the front uh, pews here. Uh, It's a special morning in the life of our church. Uh, This is uh, a deacon ordination and recognition service that we're we're doing this morning. And so if you're new with us this morning, we're we're so excited you're here because you get to see uh, the importance of, of godly leadership in the home and in the church. And so these men have exemplified themselves as those examples. And so we're excited about what God's Word will teach us this morning. And at the end of service, we're going to do uh, the Lord's Supper. And so uh, our time of response will be remembering what Christ has done for us on the cross and our behalf. And so uh, here at Metaview, we practice open communion. And what that simply means is, is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to partake with us as we uh, take the ordinances this morning. Uh, we believe that uh, his bride is, is a universal bride. It doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or not a member of this church. We would love for you to be a member of this church. Don't get me wrong. But uh, we want you as a member of, of uh, the body of Christ to be able to partake of the Lord's ordinances as the Lord's Supper is, is delivered and given to you this morning. So that is going to be how we end this morning. But Acts chapter 6 we get into a section of scripture where uh, Luke is writing and he's talking about the condition of the church. And the condition of the church has reached a point where they're going to have to solve a problem. And so Acts chapter 6, if you have a Bible, uh, uh, I'll be reading from the ESV. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardback Bible there near you in a pew. Feel free to use that this morning. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. You feel free to take it as you leave here today. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let me pray as we jump into God's word. Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that your words are, are given to us to lead and to guide us, but more importantly, to show us who you are, to reveal your son to us so that we can have life and have it everlasting. Father, I thank you for this moment in the life of this church body that we can recognize men that you set apart to be your servants. Father, we pray for these men and we pray for their homes. We pray, Father, for their families. We pray, God, for their witness, not only there but in the workplace. We pray, God, for, uh, for us to be a church that leans on you, leans not on our own understanding, but we look to you for all wisdom and guidance. 
Father, you are the head of this church, and we thank you so much for how you love us and how you gave your son for us. In Christ's name, amen. So what is happening here in this passage of Acts is that we see that a complaint has arose. And the reason this complaint arises is because there's rapid church growth. At this point in the life of the church, there's rapid church growth and there's rampant church grumbling. Have you ever known a church to grumble? What? No. No one's ever known a church to grumble. So what is happening is this church is growing so rapidly that they can't logistically take care of all the needs that the church has. And so when you can't take care of all the needs logistically, there becomes a little bit of room for there to be some complaining and grumbling and, and murmuring. And so let me just kind of go back just a few chapters. If you have a Bible, just flip back to Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to show you how the church is growing up until this point. Acts 2.41. It's also there on the screen. Those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. In one day, the church grew by 3,000. Let's keep reading there, verses 46 through 47 of the same chapter. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So after Pentecost, after Peter gives his sermon, you see this rampant growth, 3,000 in one day. And then they begin to gather day by day by day. And every single day, according to what Luke says here, more and more and more people are coming to know Jesus Christ. Let's go on to Acts chapter 4, 1 through 4. This is where Peter and John are before the council. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Again, rapid growth. In one day, these two men being faithful to preach God's word in, in spite of getting thrown in jail, 5,000 men come to the Lord in one day. It's not even mentioning the women and the children that are, that are there. Let's go on to Acts chapter 5, 12 through 14. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Do you get this? Like, Acts, he doesn't even count the number here in Acts. He just says, more than ever before. So if you look at what scholars say, this is, this is not even maybe a year after Christ has ascended into heaven. Like, this is early church. I mean, this is, they're just getting going. They're just getting started. And there's probably somewhere between twenty to 30,000 believers in less than a year. That church is on fire, right? Yeah, you're like, yeah. That, can you imagine rapid growth like that in the church? Can you imagine people coming to the Lord day by day and Him adding to their number? You see, this is a wonderful thing. But I also want you to understand this. Anytime there is spiritual growth, there will be spiritual attack. Okay, it's a spiritual warfare that we engage in. 
And when we want to grow spiritually, even in our personal relationship with the Lord, if we want to take steps towards the Lord, then when you make an advancement, expect the enemy to push back in the very same area that you took a step forward in. If you say, I want to leave this sin behind, expect some, some challenges coming down the road where that sin is going to be thrown back in your face. When you want to grow and you want to spend more time in God's word and you want to really be hungry for God's word, expect there to be difficulties finding time to spend in God's word. There's always spiritual warfare when there is spiritual growth. There's always a spiritual attack. And I shared this with my uh, adult Bible study on Wednesday night. I want to share it with you. There's three ways that we face spiritual attack as a church. The first one is persecution of the saints. We, we know this, persecution of the saints. This is where people, God's people, his saints are attacked for their belief. And the sole purpose of persecution is to silence the church. He wants to silence believers with fear. He, whether, it's, whether it's physical persecution or emotional persecution. This, this few weeks ago, I was watching a music video. I won't tell you what music video I was watching because you'll judge me because we're in church. And um, I was watching this music video, and, and some of you are going to know this. The Christ, there was Christians portrayed in this music video. And they were portrayed as redneck, hillbilly, uneducated people. There's a subtle persecution there that makes the church want to be like, I don't want to be associated with that. I don't think I want to speak up for my faith because if I speak up for my faith, then that's how people are going to view me. Persecution is to silence the church. Pollution of the saints with accepted sin. Another tactic that the enemy uses is to pollute the body of Christ with accepted sin. Now, many of you know this. I'm a germaphobe, right? I'm a germaphobe. I wash my hands all the time. I have a bottle of water over here. I was even fearful that the kids were going to take it and drink out of it when I wasn't looking. I don't drink after people. I don't do that. Now, my wife, I will because, you know, we're married, so you have to drink after each other. So, uh, but my kids, they get all the floaties in the bottom. You're not gonna, I'm not going to drink after them, you know, the backwash. It doesn't take much for me to think that the water bottle is polluted. If I had a water bottle and I spit in it, and I closed the, the lid, and I shook it up, and I, it all looks like water, you're not going to drink it because there's a little bit of pollution there. It's been polluted. Here's, here's what Satan's attack is. Why don't you accept just a little bit of sin? Because if you as a church, you as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you accept just this little bit of sin in your life, it'll be okay, nobody will notice but you know that it has a chance to grow and to pollute all those who are around you. Here's the last one. Perversion of the saints with inner turmoil. To pervert something is to mean that it doesn't function as it was intended to function. The church is intended to give God glory and to fight a spiritual warfare against the enemy and to extend the kingdom outward. This is exactly what's happening in Acts. But if he can get the church to turn on themselves, to begin to complain, to begin to grumble, to begin to say, ah, oh, my needs aren't being met. Things aren't going the way I want them to go. If he can do that, then he can get them to focus on the wrong war. A lot of times churches split because of this very thing, the perversion of the saints. The church ceases to act the way it's supposed to act. It ceases to accomplish the mission that God has given it. So we need to beware of spiritual warfare. Ephesians, Paul says it this way. 
and 6, 11 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the, in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. We are to be a church that puts on the full armor of God that is ready for the attack. Because anytime there's spiritual advancement, anytime there's spiritual growth, and I want to be a church that grows spiritually, don't you? Don't you? Amen. We can expect an attack. We're going to be met with one of these three oppositions of the enemy. So what does the early church do? The early church is facing the situation where there's some complaining going on. So they select servants who can solve the problem. Let's select some men that can solve the problem. Let's, let's read it again there. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, that means the church was growing, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. This, this complaint has arose between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Now, in those times, let me explain this to you. There would have been Jews that had been in the dispersion. They'd have been, they'd have been, uh, they had left Jerusalem, left Israel, and grown up in a more Greek mindset. And so they come back and they want to be part of the church. But there's also these ones that are like, we're the, we're the Hebrews. We've been here. We've stayed. And so there's this division that's taking place where they are identifying themselves with cultural and physical and, and you know, personal identities that aren't necessarily united in Christ. And so they're beginning to point fingers at one another. And the apostles say, look, we, we, can't, we can't go on like this because we can't give up the preaching of God's word because the church is growing and growing and growing. And every time we preach, there's multitudes of people who come to know the Lord. And so these are not just men who are preaching God's word. I mean, actually, these are men who are writing God's word, right? It's because of these men that we're going to have New Testament scriptures. And so they need to devote themselves to this. But here's what we need to understand. The, the unity of the church is often threatened when we find our identity in more, more in a physical appearance, a personal preference, and cultural boundaries than we do in the unifying blood of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul would say that the Galatian church, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. As you come in here today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. You're not northerner or southerner. You're not hillbilly or inner city. You're not urban or rural. You are one in Jesus Christ. And so we come together united. Though our preferences and though our attitudes and though our cultural upbringings might be different, that's not, that's not how we identify ourselves. We identify ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ, united under Jesus himself. So what did the church do? They gathered. And they gathered without grumbling. It says this, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to serve tables. So they gathered together, all of them gathered together, and they began to select men. They gathered without grumbling. Paul says this in Philippians 
2, 14 through 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here's what Paul would say to the Philippian church. If you will gather unified in Christ without grumbling and complaining, and you will work on things together in such harmony and unity, the world will look at you and say, there's something different about them. Church, I want the world to look at us and say, there's something different about them. They are lights in a dark and corrupt world. They don't handle business like the rest of people, the rest of the world does. These people are unified in Jesus Christ. You see, many church problems are not sin problems originally, as much as they are logistic problems. However, if not addressed correctly, logistic problems can cause grumbling and complaining amongst members who then feed and generate a gossip problem that becomes a sin problem in the life of a local church. You see how that happens? The grumbling always begins with, they're not doing things the way I want them to. I'm not, I'm not getting what I think I need. And when that grumbling turns into gossip and complaining, it wasn't necessarily a sin issue in the beginning. It might have been a logistics issue. But it turns into a sin issue because the church turns on itself. So what should we do? Therefore, the first church selected men to serve the church, to solve the problem and maintain the unity of the church. Deacons, you sit here on this front row and you are to serve God's local church by helping works and harmonizing words. What a call God has placed on your life. That God has selected you through the assembly, through the gathering, which is what we did some month and a half, two months ago. We, we gave you a piece of paper if you're a member of this church and we said, I want you to write down the names of men that you see these characteristics in. And you did that and you selected these men and we, we prayed over them, and now they sit here, and, and their job, their God-ordained job in the local church is to serve, serve with humility and works, to meet the needs of the problems of the body of Christ, and to also have harmonizing words to maintain the unity. I like how one pastor said it, it's right there, deacons are shock absorbers. You guys get to take the hit, basically. If there's a complaint, you get to take it. It's your job to absorb it and to not let it fester and grumble and spread amongst the body. Deacons are commissioned to keep the unity of the church, to serve legitimate physical needs of the church members, and to support the continued ministry of the word for the growth of the kingdom. So who is qualified to do this? Select servants who are of good repute. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So the apostles say, let's, let's select men from among you of good repute, men who have a good reputation. Paul would say it to Timothy this way in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. 
And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. These are the qualifications listed in Scripture. These men are of good repute. They have a good reputation. Did you know that their reputation wasn't just a good reputation in the church? It was a good reputation in their community. It was a good reputation in how they conduct themselves outside of these walls. It was how they conduct themselves at work. Are they lights in a dark world? And most importantly, how are they faithful, godly leaders of their own home? These are men of good reputation. Men, you've been selected because you have a reputation in this community and in this church as being a servant, but also being godly men who lead your homes well, who go to work and you're a light in a dark world. People recognize that there's something different about you. These are the type of men that they selected in the first church. They were men of good repute, but they were full of the spirit and of wisdom. They were spiritually minded, but they were practically minded as well. They knew God's word and they were able to apply it to everyday life. They were full of the fruit of the spirit. Paul says this in Galatians 5, through 25, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The fruit of the Spirit is obvious in the life of these men. The men that were selected in Scripture and men is to, to be evident in your life that you are so rooted in Christ that you are bearing much fruit and the fruit of the Spirit is obvious in your life. But let me, let me show you what it says there at the bottom. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. They remained humble. They remained servants. They, they didn't look for their own needs. They didn't pick fights. They didn't do any of those things. They were such humble servants that they led the church by the way they lived. So keep in step with the Spirit. Man, my challenge to you is that you would stay in step with the Spirit, that you wouldn't lag behind, that you wouldn't grow weary in doing good, that you wouldn't stop spending time faithfully in God's Word, pursuing Him with a whole heart, but that you would keep in step with the Spirit. These are the type of men that were selected. They said, select servants who are full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see what happened? It worked. These men were selected. Each of these men carried with them a Greek name, meaning that as the church gathered and they saw this specific issue, that these Hellenistic widows weren't getting the the food that they needed, they said, well, let's select men that we know 
can best meet the need. Greek Jews. Let's select these men. Let's select men who are full of faith and have a testimony in Jesus Christ. This morning, we select four men to come on the rotation of, of deacon. Marcus Mansell, who is being who was ordained this morning as the elders and the deacons met with him in the office and listened to his testimony and laid hands on him, just as the scripture says. And we're going to do that again here in just a minute, laying hands on the deacons that are coming on board. But uh, he comes ordained by you as a church. Cody Witherspoon, he's recognized as a deacon. He's coming back on after taking a, a leave. Robbie True, who was recognized as a deacon in a sister church not too far from here. And Kelly Kidd, who also served as a deacon in another church in northern Tennessee. These men have proven themselves to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. But the best way for you to know that is to hear their testimonies. So at this time, I want you to listen to these men's testimonies. Uh, my name is Marcus. Thank you so much for voting me in as a deacon. Uh, my wife, kids, and I have been here for a little over three years now um, and love being part of this family. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, at eight years old, I was saved and baptized. Um, I watched my father uh, be a deacon for many years in the church uh, and my grandfather be an elder for many years in the church. Um, I look forward to serving y'all in the aspect of, of a deacon in that role. Um, I know the importance uh, of that position, watching my father and grandfather serve. So I'm greatly appreciative and I very much look forward to it. Uh, again, thank you so much, and we love you. I want to take this opportunity to introduce myself and tell you a little bit about my testimony. My name is Robbie True, and I have been married now for 21 years to Carrie. Carrie and I have two children, Dana and Dylan. I have been in church all my life. I attended Gum Springs Baptist Church with my parents growing up, and at the age of 10, I realized at that time that I was a sinner and I was lost and I needed a savior. I accepted Jesus Christ as, Christ as my savior and became a follower of Christ. In 2002, I felt God calling me in a different direction. He led Carrie and I to Candy's Creek Church. There at Candy's Creek Baptist Church, we got to serve in different ministries from children's church to Sunday school to local missions work, but it was really a trip that he led me to Africa, and I got to serve on serve with Chris Leggett. Chris Leggett, through the Holy Spirit, showed me how important it was to share the gospel and what it meant to share the gospel to a lost and dying world. It radically changed my life. Later on, several years later, I got go two different times with my family to serve with them on a missions trip to Alaska. We got to serve at Filipino church there and did vacation Bible school. Sometime later, God called me into the, to be a deacon and the Canyon Creek Baptist Church nominated me as a deacon. I got to serve along with godly men there. And after 15 years of serving at, at Canyon Creek, God led, led me and my family in a different direction. It led us here at Meadowview. And now here, we've been at Meadowview now for two and a half years. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to serve you. I thank you for nominating me as a deacon. I look forward to serving with you 
and with Pastor Jeff in advancing the kingdom of God. Hi, my name is Kelly Kidd, and I want to share briefly with you my salvation testimony. I grew up in a fantastic family where my parents are both Christians. My father is still the greatest example of Christ-likeness that I'll ever know. I grew up in a small church and around five or six years old, and I don't remember exactly when. I remember Pastor Fargus giving a call to the altar, and I went forward and I said, I don't know if I died that I wouldn't go to hell, and I remember being afraid. I remember talking to him and making a decision, and everyone was excited afterwards. We, um, a couple weeks later, I was able to be baptized, and um, years went by, and that's, way, that's how I share my salvation testimony, that when I was younger, um, I made a salvation decision. So when I was 10 years old, my parents moved to the Wilds Christian Camp and Conference Center because my dad was, felt the call to ministry and he was going to be the general contractor. And so when I was 10, we moved to the Wilds and um, I got to go to camp and I got to grow up and do several jobs there where, uh, Christ, where God's Word was taught over and over again. And I heard it so many times and, and God convicted me of, of, um, of sin in my life. And um, I felt God's conviction constantly through the different pastors that would come through and speak to teens. And, he would, and um, I would listen to God's Word shared pretty much, I mean, all the time. It was unbelievable, the environment that I grew up in. <laughs> I did several jobs while I was there at camp. I was a lifeguard and I was on the landscape crew and, um, and I even worked in the kitchen. And my freshman year of college came around and my dad gave me two options. I could go to Pensacola Christian or Bob Jones University and, um, and he told me I didn't have to go for all four years. I just needed to go for, for one year and um, if I knew what I wanted to do after that, then fine. But that was a good environment for me to start off in college in. So. I chose Bob Jones University because it was close to my house and the first week of, of class I went to an English diagnostic test and of course um, there's a girl there who had a pencil and I didn't even bring a pencil to the exam so she let me borrow it and um, that girl her name is April and April and I started dating almost immediately and we dated that entire first year and that's when summertime came around I knew what my plan was I'd be headed back to the wilds to work at the camp because that's where I love to be and her parents decided to let her do the same thing to save some money for college and, and be in a nice, safe environment. And that year, my dad asked me to consider being a camp counselor where I would have teenagers in my cabin with me and I would disciple them, lead them to the Lord, and share God's Word all summer long. And um, all this time, I knew that God had been pulling at my heart to make a decision for Him. And yet, I, I'd grown up in this environment where I had professed my salvation so many times that it wasn't really a question anymore. I wasn't a bad kid, but um, halfway through the summer, or maybe towards the end of the summer, it's hard to say for sure when it was, Friday nights of every single week was decision night where if you had made a decision for Christ, then um, you would take a stick from the bucket and you would put it in the fire and it symbolized giving your life to Christ. And I'd put that stick in the fire with great conviction so many times that summer and even summers before that. So that night as I sat with my cabin and the evangelist was speaking, God seemed to talk to me and say that, that um, he's convicted me of my sin and my relationship with him so many times that he wouldn't keep doing it. And it seemed to be especially clear that night that God was going to leave me, leave me alone and that separation would be legitimate. And for me, that was enough motivation to swallow down my pride. And I got up and left my cabin where they were in their chairs. And I went and found my friend, Mr. Mac Lynch, and said, Mr. Mac, I need to talk to you. And, um, and I told him, I said, I don't know that Christ is the Lord of my life. I don't know that he lives inside my heart. And he led me through the Romans Road. And at the end of it, um, the conviction was clear. And God said that, that um, 
that he didn't know me as an, in a personal relationship. And that night with Mr. Mac Lynch, I prayed and I asked Christ to come into my heart and to save me and to be the Lord of my life. And I gave my life over to him to whatever he would have for me. And I remember praying that and I went back to my cabin and when it came time for to take my cabin back to put the stick on the fire, I remember the tremendous joy I had from taking the stick out of the bucket. And I went and put it for the first time in the fire and watched it burn and with tears in my eyes I knew that, that Christ was the Lord of my life. And so that night I accepted Christ into my Savior as a camp counselor at the Wilds in North Carolina and just as a fun fact the April and I would meet up after services when I had a few minutes before I took my camp to cabin to bed and she found me that night and she seemed like she had been uh, she had been crying as well and um, she shared with me that that night that she had talked to one of the other leaders and that she also had asked Christ to come into her heart and save her on the same night so both of us share a salvation testimony that says that we both were saved at the wilds working together on the same night so of course that meant that April I had to get married and 15 years later we're still excited about what God has for us as we stay open to serve here locally at Meadowview and then whatever else that God has for us. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.